This Week in Startups is brought to you by RxBar. For 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com twist and enter promo code twist at checkout. Valid in the U.S. only. LinkedIn. LinkedIn has marketing tools to help you target your customers with precision. For a free $100 LinkedIn ad credit to launch your first campaign, go to linkedin.com slash thisweekinstartups. Squarespace. Check out squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code TWIST to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of This Week in Startups. I'm your host, Jason Calacanis. And today on the program, we are going to do an all-ask Jason episode. That's right. You ask me a question, I give you an answer. And first up on the line is Devan. Did I get it right, Devan? Devan, almost. Devan, how are you doing, Devan? Where are you calling from? I'm calling from L.A. I'm doing well. How are you? Los Angeles. Uh, I lived there for a decade, and I loved it. Where in Los Angeles are you about? Not the exact address, uh, obviously. I grew up in the uh, Westwood area, just next to UCLA. Oh, beautiful. I lived in Brentwood, right next to UCLA in the village. I used to go uh, do some oh. pickup basketball there at the UCLA. So you've got a question for me. Very Let's nice. hear it. Yes, I do. So, Jason, uh, I'm an entrepreneur without a $100 million exit in my past, but my company will be in what you consider a Goldilocks zone very, very soon. Uh, without jumping the gun, what's the best way to excite you, and what indicators do you look at? Great question. So our Goldilocks zone, for people who don't know, is a zone of investment where we think the startup is not too hot or not too cold for us. Every venture capitalist, angel investor actually has a zone where they like to invest. Most folks are not investing in friends and family rounds, then the angel round, then the seed round, then the series A, all the way up to the IPO. Most folks, folks pick a section where they think they can be the most helpful. For us, that section in 2018 going into 2019 is you've launched your product, you have 10 customers, you're making 5, 10, 20,000 a month, or if it's a consumer product, you have 5, 10, 20,000 daily active users, and we can actually have a reasonable discussion with you about how the product is gonna grow to 100 million in revenue with a 50% margin. Now, why do those numbers matter? Well, and why have you not heard those numbers before? The reason you haven't heard those numbers before is because most investors don't want to be as um, blunt or perhaps even crude about what their goals are. The truth is all investors are looking for a multiple on their money. In our case, we would like to have a theory a thesis, a plan that returns 100 times our money. So if we invest in your company when it's worth 10 million, we wanna know there's a plan to get it to be worth a billion, which means, hey, or if we invest at 5 million, we wanna be able to get to 500 million. That means you have to grow revenue to a certain point. That certain point is probably between 50 million and 100 million. So that's what we talk about. Most syndicates out there, today are looking for people who are post product market fit. Some people call this zero to one, like you have zero product market fit and one, you have one customer who really enjoys using your product. Um, if you don't have that product market fit, in other words, customers are embracing your product, you really wanna be 
raising money from friends and family, bootstrapping, or there are some angels who will actually invest at very low valuations to help you get there. And there are incubators and accelerators that specialize in finishing your product. We don't run an incubator anymore. We run an accelerator. We changed the name of the launch incubator to launch accelerator specifically to get us over this hurdle. Does that make sense? Yep. So where are you at? How yeah, much revenue definitely. how much revenue do you have in your business? Sure. So we just launched our beta about a month ago and we're about four thousand uh, a month right now. Um, in January, let's say, we plan to be at about ten to twelve. So, you know, definitely at least in a in a in a zone to talk. Yeah, that's perfect. And is it reoccurring revenue or is it one time? Is it subscription where they pay it every is month? Yeah, so this is great. If you can, you're telling me you're at four now and we're sitting here in November and you hope in just two months you can triple it to 12K a month. Okay, that's great growth. That's more than 30% a month. Where we typically, when we're working with startups, we see 10, 20, 30% month over month growth. Sometimes people miss a month. Sometimes they have a month where they lose revenue they go down people churn from a product churn is a fancy way of saying they leave the product so it sounds like you're right in the zone how many full-time employees now uh we're just two actually perfect and one's a developer one's a designer one's a developer one's a business head uh one's a business head and one's a medical head actually got it Okay, perfect. Well, it looks like you're right in the zone. I think that when you start to have low thousands of dollars a month in revenue, it's the perfect time to talk to incubators, accelerators, and angel investors. Now, venture capitalists, if they see 10K, 12K a month in revenue, it's going to be way too early for them to make a bet. You may get a meeting one out of 10 times. If you get it to 50 to 150K in revenue, you're going to get the meeting you know, 50, 60% of the time. So this is where you want to make sure that you're um, approaching people at the right time. Venture capitalists, they're going to be looking for you to add a zero to your revenue in order to take a meeting. For somebody like Launch, our accelerator, we would actually uh, probably have you come in when you hit that 10, 12K a month in revenue. And we're certainly going to review your deck and review your application when you're even at 4K a month. So great job. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Appreciate it. Keep tuning in. Hey, everybody. Let me tell you about RX Bars, which I love, and I eat them every day. RX Bars are a great food for you to eat because they're a protein bar that's made with 100% whole ingredients. You don't need fillers or additives, chemicals or added sugar, none of that garbage. Its core ingredients do all the talking. There's no BS. And when you look at the boxes and you see them at the store or you order them online, hopefully, you're going to see three egg whites, eight hazelnuts, two cashews, two dates, no BS. And no BS is the key. When I uh, was working out with the trainer, I said, which one do you recommend? RX bar. Then I asked my doctor. He said, RX bar. Everybody loves RX bars. They come in 14 delicious flavors. I love the sea salt chocolate one, but there are others like chocolate hazelnut, it's a blueberry, mango pineapple I haven't tried yet, peanut butter chocolate and coffee chocolate. I'm into coffee, that kind of flavor. So that's my flavor profile, but you're gonna find your own, whether it's berries or hazelnuts or peanut butter or mango. They've got a ton of different choices and it's gluten-free, soy-free and dairy-free. 
They use egg whites for proteins. They use those delicious dates to bind it together. And they use nuts for texture. Sounds like a plan to me. And I want you to go visit rxbar.com slash twist and enter the promo code twist to get 25% off your first order. That is a serious deal, folks. Go buy a couple boxes. Show your support for the show. And I want you to make healthy choices for yourself. And RX Bar is one of those great healthy choices you can make. Visit rxbar.com slash twist. Enter the promo code twist at checkout. This is valid only in the U.S., so just know that. Thank you again to our friends at RX Bar. I'm going to just go grab one of these right now. I'm going to try to make a good decision. Blueberry, chocolate hazelnut. Oh, here I go again. Peanut butter chocolate, my favorite. All right, let's get back to this amazing episode. I'm going to eat this peanut butter chocolate RX Bar. I love it. Okay. All right, let's take another call. This one's from Winona. Did I get that correct? You did. How are you, Winona? Where are you calling from? I'm great. How are you? I'm calling from Atlanta. Atlanta. The ATL. Hotlanta. Great Hot TV Lana. show. Uh, I was just in Atlanta for 90 minutes. I was just going through your airport to Virginia. But I enjoyed oh, all 90 minutes cool. of it. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Tell me, you have a question for me about your startup. Go ahead. I do. So my question is, as a startup founder uh, and CEO, uh, how do you, what, what advice can you provide uh, for startups like, like me who startup founders like me who constantly get, um, you know, your idea is just too new or it's just too big vision. It's just too risky. We haven't seen it before when all I'm trying to do is establish traction in the market. Okay. It's a very broad question, very general question. Um, we're going to have to narrow it down for me to give you great advice. So people feel your idea is too visionary, too big, too hard to accomplish. Am I getting that right? Too hard to accomplish and just too hard to, to get their hands around because it's not something that's that's it's not something that's built and proven, especially in the southeast of the United States. Got it. So a lot of the great startups, just to make you feel better about it, um, a lot of the great startups, whether it's Airbnb or Uber, were perplexing and hard to get people's head around when they first started in year one. So I introduced Uber to 22 people. Two people made the investment, 20 didn't. The founder of Airbnb wrote a blog post just smacking down everybody who said no to him. And I think it was 40 VCs before he got his first yes. So, wow. yeah, it, it, if everybody agrees that your idea is a good idea, what that means is your idea is obvious. So if we all agree that, yeah, you should be able to buy a book and get it within two days. Well, that's Amazon Prime and it's Amazon and Barnes and Noble and everybody else does the same exact thing and it exists. Now, when Jeff Bezos was pitching that idea and he was saying, hey, you should be able to get a book within two days never, and it should be any book in the world. That was a radical idea. You used to have to search from bookstore to bookstore. Some people would go and call five bookstores in a day and drive an hour to find the book they wanted. That idea seems crazy today. So over time, your idea will seem less crazy. It's actually a good idea that it seems crazy means you're probably doing something super innovative. Do you want to just tell us what it is, and then I'll give you my feedback? Sure. So uh, we um, design, build, and customize really cool, innovative spaces out of shipping containers. So we utilize modular construction 
uh, to turn spaces into housing and commercial spaces that, um, you know, are, are energy efficient, but also uh, modular, movable, um, and can be built in very small spaces. Got it. So you're actually taking old metal heavy industrial shipping containers and converting them, correct? That's correct. Okay, so this is an idea I've heard a bunch. My friend Tony Shea actually did it in Las Vegas, as you know. He has the shipping container space. And I'm an investor in a company called Blockable, B-L-O-K-A-B-L-E.com. They went through our incubator, and we also invested a million bucks in them. And people Mm. had a hard time understanding what they were doing as well. It turns out their thesis, slightly different than yours, they believe that those old shipping containers are not a great place to start because they're so heavy, they're rusted, and they actually cost a couple of thousand dollars, and they're heavy and hard to move. And you wind up having to weld them uh, and cut them into pieces, and it's, it's hard and arduous. So what they did is they just built them from the ground up in a factory, mm-hmm. and they build uh, modular housing units that can be built for a fraction of the price, let's call it 60 or 70%, but in 80% less time and have five times the energy efficiency. So I actually believe in your idea. I think your technique, how you're getting there might be wrong, but we'll find out. And that's what the marketplace of ideas is all about. So it might be that you need to just innovate a little bit more because I think people have heard this idea before and think about what is the idea you're trying to solve? You're trying to solve Um, affordable housing or you're trying to solve for quick and easy uh, office space for people to have, what problem do you feel you're solving in the world? So we are focused on affordable housing and entrepreneurial spaces uh, from a community standpoint. So providing accessory dwelling units, affordable housing is a little bit more permanent than temporary uh, and half the time or half the cost uh, in uh, urban environments. So that, 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 that's, that really is our focus. It's, you know, it's interesting when you say it, it's exactly the pitch Blockable had, which was, we can build these, this housing, um, you know, and, and, and don't feel bad about this. What typically happens mm-hmm. is dozens of intelligent people are sitting, uh, will come to the same conclusion, there must be a better way. And then it's up to mm-hmm. them to figure out how to execute on what is the better way. And so I know how hard it is going to be for you to fund this company because housing, healthcare, education are three, you know, um, and housing includes construction. So let's call it housing slash construction, healthcare and education. These are three of the most challenging verticals for any founder to operate in. If you look at them, they're also the place where we need entrepreneurs most. When you look at the cost of living, many things are cheaper today. Computers today are cheaper. Mm -hmm. Remember back in the day, we'd pay $5,000 for a home computer. Now we pay $500 and we have one in our pocket. Uh, Or I've been buying Chromebooks for people here and they're super cheap and more powerful. So um, when you look at education, housing, healthcare, these things have gone up astronomically while other things like food, um, entertainment, even uh, electronics, appliances, clothes, they've either been flat or they've even gone down 
in terms of uh, their costs. So there more people get to enjoy them at higher levels. So I applaud you for going after that. I think you might want to keep pulling the string and say, hey, if so many people have tried to do the containers and it hasn't worked, why is that? And maybe try to find a solution um, that solves for one of the things you're talking about. So community space, super interesting, right? Um, people want a place where they can gather as a community, maybe just solve that one. Mm -hmm. Or people want to have uh, housing for schools uh, or housing for the homeless or housing for their kids who are just coming back from college and they want to put an ADU accessory dwelling unit in their backyard. It's going to be hard, though. Mm -hmm. You've picked one of the hardest verticals. So, you know, I applaud you for that, but also be realistic that it is going to be brutally hard if you go into that. You're not just making some enterprise software or a photo sharing app where you can just work on it in the leisure, leisurely uh, we work co-working space or wherever you're located right. or working out of your extra bedroom or a garage and just write some code. You're talking about breaking ground and, right. you know, yeah. finding spaces. Mm -hmm. It's going to be very hard. And one of the ways that I think is, um, you know, effective when you're doing that is to find a customer. Find somebody who needs to build some housing, you know, it has an experimental budget and do it. Like Tony Shea was the perfect example. He built that mm -hmm. container ship uh, or that um, public space that he made in downtown Las Vegas out of containers. But I haven't seen another person do that. Why not is the question I would ask mm -hmm. you. Why haven't we seen these things pop up if he did that seven, eight years ago? Well, what we're finding, and I've been asked that question as well, um, is a lot of it has to do with local governance and uh, the acceptance of, even though the, uh, the the problem is that we have a housing crisis, but accepting new ways, new R&D of building it has been complicated through the permitting process. Mm. We found that here and in Atlanta, and also having access to manufacturing space greatly even decreases your cost even more. Uh, so it's one of those things where you really have to build it and test it. And going through the permitting process, unfortunately, will, if you're telling that you can build these things in half the time for half the cost, but the permitting process adds months back to your project and costs back to your project, then you're right back where you started. So um, for a lot of DIYers, it turns out to be something that is more driven and um, is, a, is a bigger problem than just building a structure. So that's, those are the key things that we see. Yeah. You may want to narrow the vision and try to find some okay. excellence in a certain piece of it. I'll just give you an example. Maybe mm -hmm. you start a consultancy where you consult with real estate developers and project manage the you know purchase, procurement, building of ADUs, accessory dwelling units, for them. Right. So you basically sell them on, hey, I'm an expert on this. I'll help you navigate it. And you can just make money as a consultant doing that for a little bit until mm -hmm. you see, you know, and it keeps you above water. You got some revenue coming in and you're just the consultant in the world who charges an hourly rate on mm -hmm. accessory dwelling units and tiny homes. And you're just an expert on it. You learn all the regulations and how to project management so that you can stay in the game until you figure out right. where the magic is, where the real solution is. Because I do think that this problem is going to be solved. It has to be solved. And, you know, that's why I made that big bet unblockable. So much mm -hmm. to discuss, but I like the idea of narrowing your vision and maybe doing a services-based business 
since you're okay. not clearing market yet with venture capitalists and with investors, right. maybe you go to Blockable and say, hey, can I sell into you know, a couple of developers in Atlanta? Can I bring your product to a couple of people and maybe get paid to do that, right? So you can find another mm -hmm. part of the ecosystem where you can operate and learn while you figure out what is the master plan here. Because who knows where the money actually is? It might be in Blockable and making it. It might be in a developer and managing these and letting Blockable make mm -hmm. them. It might be in making the HVAC unit that is specially designed for these tiny homes, right? Because I looked mm -hmm. at that and I was like, why isn't there like one little thing you could roll into um, mm -hmm. a small home and it just gives you your entire stack, heating, cooling, mm -hmm. whatever. And it turns out there is a company that is considering working on it. So, you know, you, you start pulling the string, you find all the different opportunities there, but the service-based business is a great way to stay afloat and a great way to mm -hmm. learn on other people's nickels, which sounds like you would do excellently. Great question, Winona, and I wish you great success. Great. Okay, cheers. I appreciate Good it, thanks, you. Cheers. Hey, everybody, I wanna show you how we market this very podcast on LinkedIn. Here we go. This is a beautiful uh, video that my uh, CMO Presh made, and he's on LinkedIn making a campaign. And he's targeting people who work at Google, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook. And he's saying, let's get people who have a certain age, maybe above 25 years old. And then he's gonna look and say, hey, what's their job experience like? How many years? Okay, we'll say, you know what? We want people who've been in the job for five years. You could have picked over 10. And um, here he goes, he's gonna upload a video ad. Now, why is this important? It's important because I want to get more people watching this show who work at the companies that matter. And he's gonna upload a video of one of the talks we had at Launch Scale from our podcast, and he's gonna tell people the call to action is to go to our iTunes account and subscribe to our podcast because people who subscribe at iTunes maybe stick around a little bit longer, okay? And the call to action is subscribe, he uploads a video, and it's this easy to make a video that targets the right people. Now, if you were buying ads anywhere else, you wouldn't be able to target by their job title, their skills, their experience, because other people don't have that information. Who has that information? LinkedIn. And here is your call to action. If you wanna do what I just did, you're gonna go to linkedin.com slash thisweekinstartups. If you take the time to type that in, you're gonna get a hundred bucks, a C-note, a beanie from my friends at LinkedIn. It is a great place to do marketing because you're gonna get high quality leads, incredibly targeted website traffic, and higher brand awareness. And that's what I'm going for, Jcal. Your boy is doing this himself. We are spending money on LinkedIn to get the right people to watch this very podcast, and we've doubled the viewership in the last six months for this podcast. You're crazy if you don't take this $100 right now, and I don't think it's gonna last. So get to it, This Week in Startups. Uh, LinkedIn.com slash This Week in Startups. Okay, let's get back to this amazing program. Okay, I think we have John on the line. John, are you there? Hey, JC. How are you? Where are you calling from? It's uh, John from Toronto. Toronto, Canada? Absolutely, the one and only. Fantastic. Great, great, uh, great town. We have a great city, I should say, and we have uh, a small office there. So we have three people working up there for us right now at this very moment. Good, good. Awesome. You have good, a question for me? Absolutely. For a new Canadian startup, is there a disadvantage to tackling the Canadian market first as proof of MVP before doing a capital raise, or is the market here too small? Great question. Um, 
it is a great idea to test it in Canada first because nobody will notice and steal your idea or even know you're operating. Most Americans operate in a state of ignorance to the rest of the world. So one of the great strategies for companies in America is to test in an English-speaking market like Canada, Ireland, Australia, New Zealand, etc., and get data so they can learn before they come to America. <coughs> Pardon me while I sneeze. Okay, so I think it's a great idea for you to tackle Canada first. If you tackle Canada first, you know the market there. You can probably buy clicks really cheap. You can do marketing really cheap. Now, are those the same exact customers as America? I'm certain there's some differences, especially if you're in Quebec or one of the French-speaking provinces. But I would suspect, more often than not, Canadians and Americans' consumer and enterprise behavior is almost exact. In other words, I don't think the people in Canada are using Slack or Uber much differently than they use it in America. Now, it might be radically different. For example, I went to Tokyo... Uh, when they translated uh, my book Angel there, and people, I, I was taking taxi cabs, and the taxi cabs, the drivers were wearing suits, white gloves, and wearing hats. And they were delightful and amazing, and the difference between an Uber and a generic taxi in Tokyo was maybe the Uber was 20% nicer. Now, if you were to go to any other city, whether it's New York or Los Angeles or San Francisco, an, an Uber would be twice as good, and it would be much less arduous. But the difference in Tokyo, it's a little bit harder, uh, I think, maybe for Uber and Lyft to compete in Tokyo against such a high level of service by just standard taxis. So you won't face this, and you'll face lower cost of doing business, and you'll be able to operate quietly. So one of the things that a lot of the startups I work with do is if they're going to do marketing or advertising, they specifically don't market to the Bay Area or California. In other words, market your product to everywhere but Austin and 100 miles around it, New York and 200 miles around it, Los Angeles, San Francisco and 200 miles around it, Seattle and 100 miles around it, Miami and 100 miles around it. You essentially get everybody but the major cities so that the press doesn't cover what you're doing or and somebody is not inspired by your advertising, right? So it's a great idea. And think about the cost savings of operating in Toronto. What would you pay for a developer with five years experience in Canada in Canadian dollars? Uh, well, that would be 60 to 80K. In you can, might have to really touch over on. Okay, so yeah, that's 70,000 Canadian, which I think is, uh, I think it would be about 25% less or 20% less in U.S. dollars. So, Absolutely. So if you were to just pay, if you paid 90,000 for a developer, you would be the best job in town, right? Absolutely. Before they hit the Google and Facebook. So. Yeah, and, you, and you're starting to see their presence up there for that very reason, right? Google, Facebook, Amazon, Slack, all uh, big presences in Vancouver and Toronto, correct? Yep. They've, they've migrated. It makes total sense. And then if you look at also what's happening in terms of Trump and immigration to America, you know, getting into America is going to be very difficult and getting into Canada, it seems like you guys are just like high-fiving people at the airport and like, yeah, come on in. It's fine. I mean, it's super easy to get into Canada, isn't it? Yeah, 
open arms all the way. Right. And because of that, you've suffered so many 9-11-like instances, right? Oh, I'm sorry, that hasn't happened. <laughs> right? So, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm making a, you know, kind of a funny observation here. I don't mean to make a lot of 9-11, but, like, people, I think, are overestimating the downside to letting people into the country. It's not like Canada is suffering massively by having reasonable immigration policy. And I don't want to make this into a political thing, but... I do know a lot of startup founders who want to come to America are stopping in Canada first. And I have one company in my portfolio that moved to Canada after Trump was elected because they wanted to have the benefit of raising money from American investors and deploying it in a market where they could hire people more freely. And it's worked really well for them. I think they're, what would have been 18 months of runway became 40 months of runway, they told me. So just think about that hack. If you're an American company right now with 18 months of runway in San Francisco and you're burning capital like crazy and you think you have 14 months left, if you just abscond with the money and go to Canada, you might then have 28 months to figure it out and you can just fly down here once in a while. It's, it's, a, it's a major, major hack. Do you find raising, if I'm, if before we up over um raising to be a challenge we're still going to raise in canadian dollars are people raising at the same valuations here i think the hack then would be to go to y combinator launch accelerator tech stars some you know incubator or accelerator that anoints you or to just simply get a syndicate here of note ed roman's mine whoever's something on angel list that would be ways to mitigate against, oh, we're in Canada. But truth be told, people here in the Bay Area have gotten over the fear of investing in companies that are not based here, i.e. Slack, which is basically a Vancouver company with an office here. I mean, most people don't realize that, but Slack's a, a 10 to $20 billion company at this point. Who knows what it's worth at this point? It's growing really fast. And, you know, nobody cares anymore. I, I think that as long as you're here some period of time, but it will go faster. I mean, there aren't a lot of investors there. So your, your valuation will be 50% to double here in the Valley. Um, so I would camp out here. I'd have an office here. I'd have two or three people here. And then I'd have 20 people in Toronto. Make sense? Absolutely. That's fantastic. All right. And uh, you've been listening to the show for a while or you're new to the show? A couple years actually. So, uh, appreciate you, uh, putting me on the line and producer Jackie World's Greatest. That's amazing. Yes, Emmy Award winning. Uh, yeah. Do you have a favorite episode, favorite uh, guest? Absolutely. A couple here. So um, it's a bit of an offshoot. The episode five, Zach Coleus. Hustle oh. mentality is what I grew up with. Fantastic. Mm. Yeah. And I got that string of podcasts from reading the book. Everyone go download Angel on Audible. Absolutely. There you go. All right. And make sure you write a five-star review. If you don't like it, email Jackie absolutely. at launch.co. She'll defend me. Uh, she will <laughs> take the uh, complaint. All right. Great job, John. A more, yep. A couple more episodes there for you, uh, new listeners. 816, Mike Gaffrey. Okay. Um, taught me to work smarter. Very productive. I love that. Okay. And uh, you, if you want some yin to the yang, Chamath's episode uh, a couple weeks ago, 864, go download that. Yeah, that Chamath pouring gasoline over himself and lighting himself on fire at stage on stage at scale was truly entertaining, insightful. And perhaps prescient. The market has uh, had a little correction and people are wondering, hmm, are things a little frothy? And I think, you know, he picked up on that early. All right, John, keep listening and we appreciate the question. You got it. Cheers. Cheers.
Let's talk about turning your idea, your amazing idea into a new website, whether it's a blog or you're publishing content, maybe you're selling products or a service of some type, or you want to promote your physical or online business, or like me, you're having an event like Launch Scale, and you want to make a gorgeous, amazing website, maybe one with a beautiful video in the background like this, maybe one that's responsive and that people can see perfectly on their mobile phones and their desktops and their iPads and their widescreen monitor. And that's just optimized and optimized for speed, design, and mobility. Yes, you can see these perfectly on your desktop or on your mobile phone. And it's all search engine optimized. You got plenty of analytics and 24-7 award-winning customer support. That's what you get with Squarespace. Squarespace.com. I use it for all of our websites. Launch Scale and the Angel Summit Launch festival sydney why do we use it it's beautiful it's gorgeous it's affordable it's a great deal it's got tons of features and everybody on our team knows how to use it updating the website is not arduous anymore it's easy when i say update the website during a meeting at lunch we have staff lunch it's updated in real time people just go zip 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 and get it done so go to squarespace.com and get a free trial when you're ready to launch your site Use the offer code TWIST and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Yes, use the promo code TWIST and you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com is awesome. I love it and use it constantly. Go ahead and visit squarespace.com and get that free trial and use that promo code TWIST to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain name. Thanks again to our friends at Squarespace for being one of the longest running supporters of This Week in Startups. It really means a lot to me and it means a lot to our team that you make such great software that we get to use here every day. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. Anyone on the line? Hi, Jason. Hi. Yeah. Hi, Jason. What's your name? Or I should call J-Cal because I've been watching for a while as well and I feel it would be disrespectful if I don't call Emmy Award-winning producer Jackie and J-Cal. Yes, you can call me J-Cal. I will allow it. What's your name? Uh, my name is Chanakya. Chanakya. I am also running a Canadian company. We are in Waterloo, so right near the Toronto where you had the previous caller. Yeah, and I've been to Waterloo, Univers Waterloo University where I interviewed Chamath, who I guess he just built a building with his um, ex-wife Bridge. They they built a building up yeah. there together. But I don't think their names yeah. are on it. And uh, funny enough, I was in the audience when you had interviewed a couple of years ago, so I remember that interview very well. We had a good time. We had a good time. Do you have a question for me today? Yeah. So I run a apparel company, and... Uh, the question I had was, like, I read your book, and it is amazing. You, in that, you mentioned that apparel is not of one of the primary sectors that uh, investors are interested in. So if you could elaborate a little bit on it, on why that is. And the related question was, what should apparel startups do if they want to do fundraising? Okay, great question. So typically, if a person is making clothing... In venture, venture investors, venture capitalists here in Silicon Valley are going to think, hmm, can this get to a billion dollars and then $10 billion? Well, let's look at the history of it. Under Armour, Nike, you know, there, there have been 30, 40 year success stories in, um, you know, apparel, but there haven't been too many. And then of late, we've had the direct to consumer movement, I guess, MeUndies. 
Bonobos, Warby Parker, Dollar Shave Club, and uh, Tommy John, which I'm wearing right now, underwear and a Tommy John t-shirt at the same time. There are the, There's a sock company. I forgot the name of the sock company. But anyway, um, you would need to prove that you have some technology angle that will give you a massive competitive advantage over the old apparel companies. Now, I, th- I do believe that Dollar Shave Club in the, you know, razor space and Warby Parker in glasses and Bonobos in, I guess they do slacks and stuff like that. They were all able to prove that. But it's a hard thing to prove because now the legacy companies are getting smarter and they understand how to use online. So if you could say, listen, we understand Instagram. We have all these Instagram influencers. We develop products that Instagram influencers can have their own brand or something. It's possible. It's just not probable that you're going to have an outcome that a venture capitalist would consider capable of returning their entire fund. And you just have to drill into the economics of a venture capitalist fund. So if you have a $250 million fund as a venture capitalist and you plan on investing in roughly 15 companies and you roughly are going to put 20 million into each company because some of them will not get a series B and some will get 20 swings at bat and you need each of those 20 swings at bat which are going to own 30% of the company you need one of them to become a billion dollar company for you to pay back your fund and get 20% of you know whatever comes after that so they really need to they get paid on the second unicorn not even the first if you only have 20 swings at bat, are you going to go with a vertical like enterprise software, a marketplace, or some other technology company that has the ability to ramp revenues to $100 million with a massive margin? Or are you going to go to a company that's going to struggle to ramp revenues at lower margin? And I think you understand that question. So it's not that it's impossible. It's just that it's improbable. Does that make sense? Fair enough. And you mentioned, like, when you talked about technology, you mentioned, like, Instagram and all of that. What about if there's technology within the garment itself? Does that change the picture? That's a great question as well. I have had people who've talked to me about um, different microfibers. In fact, I think Tommy John is, is pitched based upon having interesting fabrics. So, again, I think, you know, consumers are pretty used to Gore-Tex or some, you know, new uh, fabric being interesting. And I don't think it changes the fate of a company. Now, what I will say is, luckily for you, there are other groups of investors who have a different time horizon and they have a different model of investing. One of those happens to be private equity. The other one is equity crowdfunding. So equity crowdfunding folks... They might very much on Seed Invest or Republic, the two platforms that we like, that we advise our companies to use, and we have done a deal on Seed Invest for Inside.com, and we probably will use Republic at some point for some deals, and we actually have a company, Ballooner, which was on uh, Republic. These two platforms have high-quality processes for vetting companies, and the people investing on those platforms, they might be looking to double their money, quadruple their money, and they're not looking for this ridiculous growth They're not looking for obscene, unnatural, insane, crazy growth like venture capitalists are. 
So there are funding sources available to you. Also, the people who make the clothes for you might be willing, since they have factories, to give you terms in which to pay. And you might be able to get banks to do factoring on your receivables as well. You can also get people to pay in advance if you have a really innovative product. There was that company, I think it was Beta Brand, if I'm correct, that would make really crazy, like, here's a hoodie that looks like a suit jacket and, you know, pre-order it. So there are all kinds of little devices and funding sources that are atypical or not typical for venture-backed startups that are available to you. And eventually, private equity, my friends, um, created the company Skip Hop, which made products for babies, like the famous diaper bags and other um, products and accessories when you have kids. And they had a cult following, high margin, and private equity funded that business. It wasn't like the venture capital business did it. So you just have to understand venture capitalists are looking for two unicorns out of 20 or 30 investments, and they are sitting there panicking that they're going to make no money except for their management fees and that they're never going to be able to raise a fund again. So you just happen to be probably you know, the last uh, possible thing they would consider funding. Doesn't mean it's impossible. It just means it's improbable. So I would go with alternate funding sources for sure. Does that help? Fair enough. Yeah, that helps. Right. And if I could just say one thing, like you mentioned about factories. So I was in India for nine months straight, and I just wanted to thank you for investing in Uber because I went to some sketchy places trying to find factories, and I wouldn't have come out alive if it wasn't for Uber to be there. Thank you for that. And uh, yes, I know Uber is saving lives every day around the world. People are driving to sketchy areas and literally having their lives saved by Uber. Go Uber. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it, it does actually blow my mind because I literally went to Qatar, Tokyo, Spain, uh, Toronto. I mean, I, I've been traveling all around the world recently and it's just mind-blowing to get out and open your phone and the app just works. And then with com.com to see German people now finally using the app and they've translated into the first language, I get this whole deja vu all over again. I just, everywhere I go, people bring up com.com, com.com, com.com. And uh, Robinhood, Robinhood, Robinhood. People are just all over the world using both of those products. So it's, it's one of the most rewarding things about being an angel investor is seeing you know, one out of 50 products spread across the globe. And, you know, if it only happens with one out of 50 and it's a 2% hit rate for me, I can make a decent living uh, or more than that. And it's just joyful to see those experiments go around the globe. It's mind-blowing. Oh, in Sydney. I was in Sydney as well. And just to see Uber everywhere, it's just magical. Um, all right. Great job. Good call. And uh, thanks, for re thanks for reading the book. Um, I didn't hear anything about your review. I'm assuming you wrote a five-star review, yes? Or are you going to do that right off the phone? I was the first one in Canada to give you a review on Audible. Uh, thank you for that. Thank you for that. I would have preferred it was five-star instead of three, but uh, you're, a, you're a pretty hard cookie. No, no, no. I'll I was work the hard. first one who gave you a five-star review uh, in Canada. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. I pander for reviews. I pander for reviews. <laughs> All right. Thanks, pal. I appreciate it. Uh, keep up yeah. the hard work. Good luck. Thank you. Cheers. Okay, we have another caller on the line. Who's on the line? Hey, Jason, it's Emmett. I am from upstate New York. Not think Canada, but two hours south. 
Okay, so that means you're about exit 21, 20. Where are you? You pass Albany. You're uh, Binghamton? No, I, where? I am. No, um, I am exit 13 on oh. 87. Oh, okay. Well, you're not that far up. You're like New Paltz? So what, what are you, like Kingston? No, I'm, I'm in Plattsburgh. Plattsburgh, oh. New York. Yeah, you're, you're, you're barely so. outside the city. Come on. <laughs> but it's it, five hours in New York City. Yeah, you got some. Um, you got some nice uh, foliage this time of year. The leaves are beautiful, right? Yeah, yeah. We actually have um, six inches of snow in the forecast for tomorrow. Oh um, my lord! Oh my lord! And they don't clean the roads up there <laughs> like they do in the city, do they? Yeah, it's mostly just salt, and uh, hope your brakes work. Oof, um, good luck. Okay, you have a question for me? Let's hear it. So, so yeah, living in rural upstate New York. I've been trying to. I've been learning to code for the last eighteen months using Treehouse. Um, in living in an area where I can't afford to relocate, um, and I know there's a ton of tech jobs out there. Um, how do I get a remote tech job? Uh, okay, great question. So, number one, kudos for you for learning to become a developer. It's not easy, but it's not impossible. And you're using Treehouse. Uh, my friend Ryan Carson started that company backed by my friend Chamath Palihapitiya from Social Capital. Um, explain how long it took you to get to a base level of proficiency as a programmer and how much did it cost you? Um, well, using Treehouse, it, I was enrolled in the $25 a month plan. Um, and I've been using that probably since, I think it was December of last year. Um, so $25 a month, I'm, and then how many hours a week did you put towards your treehouse education? Um, hmm. I would probably say I was doing at least an hour a day, and this is given while I'm working full-time. My wife is working part-time, and... We have a two-year-old and an eight-week-old baby at home right now. Okay. So, number one, uh, massive respect. I talk a lot about it on this program, about how the world's knowledge has been put online. And everybody wants to complain about opportunity. I get it. People feel the world is rigged. People feel the world is difficult. Of course it can be difficult, right? You're stuck up in upstate New York. It's not like there's 100 developer jobs right in your backyard, for you to go to, but you decided, even with kids, even with all that responsibility, full-time job, you'd carve out an hour of your day to learn how to code, and you have done it successfully for $25 a month. And uh, Ryan Carson was on episode 738, for those of you uh, who are wondering, and... Great, it's a great episode. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a really yeah. solid guy, that Ryan Carson, um, and Treehouse is just... It really is a fun platform to use, isn't it? You get like badges and stuff like that, and you level up, so it's a little bit yeah, motivating. Yeah, you get you get badges, and there's and each course has like it's like it'll it'll take this course is two hours. Okay, so when you're where can, where in your day can you fit in that fit that in, and then you get a badge at the end. Yeah, you put your kids and to you bed. Share it on Twitter, yeah. and yeah, you share it on Twitter, and people you know say, hey, keep going, good, you know, great job, and. Their community is incredible. So let me ask you the tough question. How were you able to carve out watching one extra hour of TV a day and put it towards becoming a developer and improving your lot in life? How did you survive without watching season two of Ozark <laughs> or season four of Breaking Bad? How did you get through all that well, struggle, Emmett? 
I got through that by one not paying for cable. <laughs> I can't I can't afford it. Perfect. So the uh, cable bill, which is one hundred fifty bucks, people spend on average. You put twenty five dollars towards becoming a developer. Right, and and I'm looking at I've looked at job postings around, and even with an hour hour and a half commute, which is what it would be for me, for to to drive to a developer job, I'd be making two to three times what I'm making right now. Yeah, so it's rough. I get that. Um, there is a great website uh, called We Work Remotely. Do you know this website? I'm familiar with We We Work. Yeah. So but we, again, I feel like my location's the issue. Yeah. So there is a website. It's not We Work the uh, co-working space. This is a website called WeWorkRemotely.com, and it costs uh, three hundred dollars to uh, put jobs up there. They have had eighty thousand jobs posted, and we uh, we use it here because we do have some people working from home. And I'm looking at their website right now. I think it's two hundred says here two hundred ninety nine dollars to post a job for a month, and you will find copywriting jobs, programming jobs on there, and I believe you could find yourself a job somewhere on there. What are you programming? What do you code in? I'm learning full stack JavaScript. Right. Perfect. And, you know, the having a GitHub repository and maybe even starting a blog and talking about what you're working on, having an online persona, those type of things can really help if people can see your code. Uh, so that's another way to sort of prove yourself, maybe make a Chrome extension, maybe build a little funny tool that puts you on the map. I'll give you an example. I know you're not thinking about being an entrepreneur right now. You're thinking about... Um, you know, having a coding job and getting paid 70 bucks an hour or 50 bucks an hour, 100 bucks an hour, whatever you think you can get. Um, if you make small little experiences for people and it shows that you're out there hustling like you did to learn in the first place, that can go a long way. When we made the investment in com.com, I s knew about the million dollar homepage, which was kind of a hack. But those kind of hacks are impressive to me. And then when I f invested in Reportive, which the founder, Raul, who was just on the program, he went on to do Superhuman. Reportive was like this little hack together, Chrome extension, Gmail plugin that just resolved a person's email to their social media accounts and put their name in there. Those type of little uh, widgets you can make, little experiences online, they, they, they add up over time. And they add up to show that you're going to just keep being out there improving yourself and growing even if you made a little app here or maybe you make a little tracker for you know you're if you're in if you're passionate about um fantasy football if you made some tool that lets you pull in the data to make better picks just make some fun stuff so you know kevin rose is the guy who created dig yeah so follow yeah. kevin like kevin made this beautiful simple app uh for um Fasting. The oak, the oak, oh, okay. Not the meditation one. He made another one, which was just for um, uh, fasting. And I use it, and it's just a great app. And it's very simple. It's elegant. But, you know, if you go out there and you make stuff, and he made the first version of Dig for $3,000, I remember he told me, when we tried to buy it from him. We tried to buy it from him. I offered him a million dollars for it in the first year. Um, luckily, actually, well, luckily he didn't take it. I'm sure he made more than a million dollars in that time. But anyway, we tried to buy it from him. So get yourself out there now that you're a developer and make a couple of little things, right? And then look for companies that are also 
graduating from maybe tech stars or something and say, hey, do you need somebody to work on something? Offer yourself up and, and you never know what you're going to find. But I will say um, uh, you, you have my respect because I know how hard it is to raise kids, uh, to have a full-time job, and you know, you're locked in place. You can't just move anywhere. Luckily, the world is catching up. If it was another era, there would be no way for you to even have access to the information of how to become a developer. And you certainly wouldn't have had it for $25 a month from Treehouse. And you certainly wouldn't have had the work remote um, opportunities that exist in the world. So keep grinding, make little things, tweet them out, uh, do little spec projects, whatever you got to do to get your name out there, create a little blog. And uh, I like the site, weworkremotely.com. We use it ourselves, and I think you might find something interesting there. Okay, I'll definitely check that out. Thank you yeah. so much. All right, man. Keep listening, and uh, thanks so much uh, for calling in. Good luck. Yeah, thank you. Godspeed. All right, there we go. All right, see, folks, this is what I've been telling y'all. You have the opportunity out there to change your fate. All the information in the world is out there at your fingertips. Uh, you may think, oh, J-Cal, you got it all figured out. You know what? I have been taking courses myself. I'm taking a history course. I'm about to start one on documentary filmmaking, um, taking a, a Skillshare course I found that I bookmarked that I'm going to start taking over the Christmas break on making logos and iconic imagery. You know, it's like five-hour courses are out there, 10-hour courses, Skillshare, Coursera, Treehouse, Linda. Get out there and improve yourself, okay? Don't be a victim be crying in your coffee or your iced coffee or your mocha whatever just get out there and add skills and over time if you just keep adding skills you take a little bit of risk here and there things are going to work out great for you uh, and uh, thanks to uh, Ryan Carson for creating Treehouse I think he's been on the program twice he was actually on episode 198 and then he was on again episode 738 so he's he's been on um, twice seven years ago and uh, maybe maybe two years ago. So we'll have him on again in another year or so. I think Treehouse is, I got to think Treehouse is doing $10, $20 million in revenue. I think they're doing pretty well. That's a hard business though, education. All right. This has been a great episode. We're going to wrap up here. If you have a question for me, you can ask me anytime on Twitter at Jason. But if you want to get on the pod, you're going to want to uh, follow the at TWI startups account, DM them uh, and email askjason at launch.co. Your question, and we will call you back. Thanks again to our sponsors and Emmy Award-winning producer Jackie. We'll see you all next time on This Week in Startups. Bye-bye. <laughs>